want to talk today about how God builds. Because he builds on sons, but there's some things as well that I wanted to hit today. And this scripture is really key, Hebrews 3.12. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Okay, so God is a master builder. Amen? He's a master builder. And God builds on the right foundations. Wow, that jumped in quick, didn't it? That was a quick transition. God builds on the right foundation. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Shall we read it together? That's kind of all participating, then you'll all feel part of it. Okay, three, two, one. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Hallelujah. It's a good scripture. So God builds his creation. Psalm 104 verse 5 says, You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. And he uses building instruments like builders use today. In the complete Jewish Bible of Isaiah 40 verse 12, it says, Who has counted the handfuls of water in the sea, measured off the sky with a ruler, gauged how much dust there is on the earth, weighed the mountains on scales, or the hills in a balance? You'll find elsewhere that, that it says that God uh, put a circle on the earth, and in some versions it uses the word compass. Um, so God uses building instruments because he is a master builder. Now, here's a question. Was Jesus born into the home of a priest? No. Was he born into the home of a farmer? No. No. Who was he born into the home of? A carpenter. Yes. When God came to earth, he was born into the family of Joseph and Mary. Joseph was a master carpenter. And so Jesus came into the building trade right from the world go. You can perhaps imagine him as a young child wandering around with some of dad's implements. Now, I don't know what they had in those days, because I was trying to, you know, use your imagination as you do, you know. Was there some simple saws and, you know, planes and whatnot those days? I'd imagine it'd be something like that. But you can imagine, even from an early age, Jesus was taught how to work in the family business. So Jesus was born to build. Can we say amen to that one? So our God is a builder, and unless he builds... We're laboring in vain. But the exciting thing is that if he builds, it cannot fail. Hello. Because God does not fail. God does not make a mistake. 
If ever there's an issue, it's usually us. You've gone quiet on me. It's usually our fault, not God. Now, what is he building, we might say? Well, he's building a house, but it's not a brick or a stone building. God is building a family. Now, in the Old Testament, we, we read about the house of David and the house of Saul, don't we? We've read about that. In the New Testament, you'll remember the story of the Philippian jailer, and it said that he was saved and his house or his household. So it's not talking about just a physical brick-built building, but it's talking about us as the family, the household of God. And God uses all kinds of metaphors, and the Bible does, to, you know, to sort of elaborate on what it is that God is building. And it refers to a city, a bride, a temple, sheep, because sheep have a tendency to go their own way, or we like sheep have gone our own way. If there's a hole in the fence and one goes for it, you can bet your bottom dollar the rest will follow. Oh, we're a body, we're a family. In Matthew 5.14, we had this scripture on the wall through there in mirrored glass. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are a city. We ought to be able to run a city. The church should. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a... Thank you. Bride adorned for her husband. So we've got lots of metaphors. Abraham looked for a city that God had built that not man had built. Yes, they were looking to the future for what God was going to do. A place of belonging, placement, somewhere that was safe and secure. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So God is a builder. When God reveals himself, it's as a father. When he comes to the earth, it's as a son. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in eternal unity and relationship, wanting to build his family for all of eternity. Isn't that an exciting idea, concept, that we are going to be eternally with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, eternally living in unity and harmony with no sickness, with no disease, with no old age, with no bones giving out on us, with those issues that we all have. The hair won't fall out. I'll have a full head of hair and it will be gorgeous. It will be blonde and I'll be strong again, I'll be fit, and we'll all be enjoying life together. Won't that be amazing? For all of eternity, those people that are not part of and not a son of God will miss all of that. What a sad state 
but we're going to enjoy the fullness of who he is and what he's prepared for us. And the Bible says, in, in my version, God will, would blow our minds if he showed us what he has for us in the future. Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor as it entered the heart, the understanding of man, what he has prepared for those who love him. Wow! Amazing. So God is a builder and he builds on families and he guards the city, which is a collection of houses. He's building by families and what he builds will not fail because what he builds, he guards. He guards what he's building. That should give us great confidence with our lives, with our families, and as we speak to people about Jesus, we can speak with great confidence because what he has set out to do, he will bring it to fruition in our lives. He's going to do it. So the question is this to us this morning, is he building your life or are you? There's the challenge. And here's another one. Following swiftly on, is God the landlord or is he the tenant? Oh boy. Because there's a big difference as to whether he's on the throne of your life or he's just sitting there and you're in charge. So, is he the lord of the land in your life Or is he just a sitting tenant? Do you pay him lip service or have you completely bowed the knee to him? Ooh, good question, eh? Right, now, how does God build? Well, God builds in three ways. He builds, first of all, revelationally. He builds relationally. And he builds generationally. Very good, eh? Revelationally, relationally, and generationally. Now, I don't know whether we'll get to all of these because I don't want to preach forever this morning because um, we, don't want to be, we don't want to be going on too long, do we? You know, that Chinese preacher. So, here we go. And I want to make sure that you get it this morning because even if we don't get to all three points, we're going to get through some of it. Is that right? You're all attentive. Great. So, Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18, you'll know this one if I tell you that Jesus is with the disciples and he says to them, who do men say that I am? So, they came out with a few people that folks were saying, well, you know, this is Elijah and this is whatever. You know, if it was today, we might say, well, it's it's Billy Graham or it's Benny Hinn or whatever. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, are? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There was a revelation that had come to Peter, and he recognized that Jesus was the son of the living God. In fact, he was God. And Jesus said, you've had a revelation because it's the father that's revealed this to you. And then you remember, he, he names 
him, Peter, because he talked about Peter being like a small rock, Petrus, a small rock, and then he refers to another rock, uh, using another Greek word, which is like a bedrock, a much larger rock, and Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. He wasn't saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter. Because Peter figures in certain denominations and he's been given a sainthood by certain denominations and he's seen as a major person in the life of the church. But God is not building his church on a man. He's building it on a revelation of who Jesus is. Only God can reveal who he is to you, not man. So we might say, well, why bother telling anybody about Jesus? Why evangelize? Why share our testimony? Why invite people to church? Why give them a tract or loan them a Christian DVD? Well, unless they hear from somebody, they've not got an opportunity to get a revelation. Because there's a lot of Christians who yet haven't got a revelation about Israel. An awful lot. We are fortunate here that God has given us a revelation. So we should be very grateful for that revelation. But God has to do the revealing, but we tell the message, don't we? And sometimes you get so desperate with people, especially ones that, that are you know, part of your family, you almost want to hit them, don't you? You know, can you not get it? Don't you? I mean, you, you know, with your spouses, it's like, what can't you see? I've seen it, why can't you see it? Well, God the Father reveals it. So that's why we need to pray and live our life before them. So God builds on the revelation of who he is, and that is the foundation of a man's life. We're all men here this morning. We're all sons. So that's not a gender term. God builds, and he is the foundation of our lives. So, when you build, you build on a foundation. Is that right? You're building on a rock. You're building on a solid and firm place. You remember Jesus told the story about the man who built his house on the sand and the guy who built his house on the rock. And we know that a house built on the sand might look good for a a period of time, but when the wind and the waves come in, that building is going to fall, right? And Jesus said, mighty is the fall of it. When you see the building go, crash. But if we build it on the rock, we know it's going to be a sure and firm foundation. If you've seen a lighthouse, usually it's right out there where there's a storm. You don't build it in the middle of the land where it's safe and secure. You want to let somebody know there's danger here and that lighthouse is usually built on the rock and it's firm and solid, is it not? I've seen some amazing photos of huge, massive waves coming against the lighthouse, but it stands because it's built on a rock. And you can throw almost anything at that lighthouse and it will stand. When we build our lives on Jesus Christ, we will stand for all of eternity. Hallelujah. So, 
God builds revelationally, and if you don't have a revelation of who Christ is, then you have nothing on which to build, and only God can show you that. If you have a natural hunger for God, it's because he's put it there. He's done that, and we stoke it, don't we? We, we stoke that fire and that hunger. We keep that going. Isaiah 28 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God. No, let's read it together. Come on, just so that you can stay engaged with me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. See, more building instruments in that scripture. He is a sure foundation. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Let's read it together. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many." If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Not just as we pleased. Do you see that? There's an H in front of the E. Not a wobble U. Okay. Now, birth implies relationship, does it not? It takes two to make a baby. Hello. These days we do all sorts of things in test tubes, but I'm not thinking about any of all that stuff. Okay? We were not born by ourselves. It took others to be involved with bringing us to birth. Hallelujah for mums and dads. And we were born into a family. Now, it, it might have not been the birth, and there's been all kinds of tragic situations with rapes and all kinds of things that go on around the world. But that is not God's choosing. That's been man's abuse that has brought that about. But God's desire is that all of us are born into a family. And when we are reborn, we're not reborn into an organization or an orphanage. We're born into a a family. God sets every member in the family as it pleases him. Let's read Ephesians 2 together. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're being built together. Ooh. We're being built together as a holy temple. It's not a ramshackle thing that God is building. That's why he's building carefully, but he needs to build with submissive hearts, humble hearts, that are wanting to be able to be built together and fashioned into a place that he can dwell in the midst of those people. Wasn't there such a holy presence this morning? Wow, you could feel the tangible presence of God in the worship this morning. He wants to indwell us as a corporate body. And God sets leadership in place in the church and delegates authority to them. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 13, writes this. Let's read it together. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow, Paul. Now, of course, there's a context here that very much is the governing authorities over towns and cities and nations. So we should be submissive to our government. Gone quiet. We should be. You remember all the issues when they brought out poll tax initially? Oh, there was lots of turmoil and whatever. We didn't like it, did we? We're getting very good at causes now and marches and strikes and all sorts of things. But what does this say? If we're not careful we can bring judgment on ourselves by not recognizing the authority that God has established over us. Now listen, not one of us can take authority. Authority only comes by it being delegated by a higher authority. The ultimate authority is God because he is the master builder. And he has delegated authority in various levels to people. And they have been entrusted with that authority and they will be judged by God for what they have done with that authority. But if you and I go against that authority... We're not just going against men, we're going against God. That's why Paul is really saying there's something serious about this, because if you resist that authority, 
there is going to be judgment that you bring on yourself. You bring it on. You can't blame somebody else for things that goes wrong in your life if you resist godly authority. So you can either choose to recognize authority and flow with that and receive the blessing that God has determined from heaven, from his courtroom, that's going to flow down through that authority structure. And if we will recognize the authority that's been set there, we will enjoy the blessing of that. I cannot come into your family and tell you what to do. Some of you will have been around the church long enough to know the term shepherding, the shepherding movement and heavy shepherding that went on a few years ago. And church leaders tried to tell their congregation members what mortgage they should have, who they should marry, what car they should own, all kinds of stuff that is completely wrong and out of their sphere. Hello. And they will all be held accountable for that nonsense. I cannot step into your family and tell you how to run your family. I can only give you advice if you invite me in and delegate authority to me for a period of time to give you what I know and what I carry. If you and I, together with the authority that we have been given by God, we can achieve a lot because there is a geometric progression of authority when there's hearts coming together and the sphere that God's given you couples with the sphere God's given me and together we can achieve a massive amount. But if you reject the authority that is on me, you're going to have problems. Because if you want to be around me and you fight my authority, you're not fighting me, you're fighting God. And I want to ensure that whatever I'm carrying is balanced by a group of other people who I appreciate, who I believe carry authority also, and we together submit one to another in order that our authority structure in this house is strong and impenetrable. And together we can move mountains. We can shift nations if we are together, one heart, one mind. And as God builds on families who are also submitted into that whole process, we together can see our families mightily blessed by God because he has set an authority structure in the heavens. And the moment any of us step out of line with that, we can only receive the consequences of that. Amen? If I go out of here today and I break the speed limit and I'm caught, I will receive the penalty of that, won't I? I can't say, well, I'm Steve Watson and I've got quite a high position in a church. They'll say, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the prime minister or the head of, I was going to say CI5. They don't really exist, do they? 
That was George Cowley. Yes. <laughs> yes, MI5 or whoever it is, you know, I'm the President of the United States. Well, it won't really cut the mustard. If you've got, you know, okay, some powers... We have to recognise the authority, don't we? For all, so have you got that? Because authority is often a big thing, especially in churches. And, you know, people come and people go, and it's the leaders that have to ensure that the body is protected and the body is enabled to keep moving forwards under God, under the chief shepherd. Because those of us in leadership here are the under-shepherds. I didn't hear any amens then. Come on now, just come with me, preach with me. We're the under-shepherds, we're responsible to him. If we get it wrong, we're in trouble. If we say something that's not right to you, we're in big trouble. That's why we hold counsel together. And as leaders we meet together regularly in order that we can aim to get it right. But we are not perfect, but we have been around for quite a while. Yes, somebody said amen to that. That was Gordon. I was only in my 40s when I started this church. But praise the Lord. I'm going to finish on this last one scripture, and then we're going to call it a break to part one. But have you got it so far? We've hammered some things home. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians And let's read it together, and then this is the last one. Hopefully you can read the bits in a slightly darker colour. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There was a teaching around at the time that providing your spirit was right, you could do whatever with your body. You could go with a prostitute and it was fine. That wasn't a problem, provided you sung well, you know, in the temple. Paul had to make the distinctions in his writings that you cannot separate your body from your spirit. That's why he says here, you know, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit. So it's important what you do with your body as well as your spirit because you are not your own. Now, I've been talking in the context of authority. I don't own anyone. I don't even own Jenny, even though I've married her. In fact, anything that I might think is my own, I'm purely a steward of, be it... Well, I haven't got a house, so I can't say be it house, but car or whatever. Anything that might have my name on, I'm just stewarding for God. But certainly me, my body, who I am, spirit, soul and body, I've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, you have to follow an authority structure that God has set in place. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do part two on another occasion, whenever that is, because other people are set to pray. Jenny and I are in Germany next Sunday, so I'm not quite sure what we're doing. But our lovely friend, Gert and Eulalie, since we said yes to going to Germany, 
next Saturday have organised a conference and let it be known far and wide that we are speaking at this conference. And so you might just think about us, if God just reminds you, just whip a prayer up there because we've got a load of people coming there, leaders, that, that we've been beefed up and, um, and we are going to be stepping into our anointing that we believe we carry in Germany. Yeah, I, I could, you know, I could, I could do good morning in German, and that's about it, you know what I mean, once I've gone beyond that. So, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you that you have given us already a revelation of who you are. We know that we are yours and you are ours. We thank you, Jesus, that we can call you our brother. We can call God our Father, and we thank you that, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide, our teacher. But we thank you, Lord, also for the authority structure that you've placed in the earth that is a test of our obedience. Will we follow the authority structure that you've delegated into the earth realm? And Lord, I want to be someone that acknowledges and honours authority that you've placed on others, whether I like it or not. And Lord, I apologise when I have called people jackasses and other words about other leaders in the town and other people or other authority structures. Lord, will you help me to curb my tongue and to, Father, show honour to those that you have placed in places of authority. Lord, help us to flow with the fullness of what you have desired for us by honouring authority. And Lord, if any of us have dishonoured authority, or if any of us have spoken about others, Lord, as we have this moment, would you forgive us and release us from judgment that we have brought on our own heads and lives and families, especially maybe for heads of families here who we might have brought judgment on our children or grandchildren, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Father, we thank you for our government today, our local councils, all the various authorities that you've set in the earth. We recognise that they are tests of our obedience, whether we would submit ourselves to them as unto you. And Lord, we ask that you would rightly align us today, in your authority structure, in order that the fullness might flow into us and through us into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It's really a powerful thing when you think about it, because I have said things about other people, and that's not good, because I'm bringing judgment on myself. And I have used that term about leaders in the town, I have to be honest and I've now repented in front of you. And I'm trusting that this week, no matter what I might think in my heart, we want to see the town blessed and the leaders reconciled and God moving forward with what he intends for the town. Amen.